Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. Our special guest today is Seb Rose. Seb and I met on a train in Budapest. We just happened to be sitting next to each other. We struck up an amazing conversation, and we immediately became friends. Seb is now a regular guest lecturer on behavior-driven development in my course at Harvard. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Hey, Seb, thanks for joining today. It's so great to have you here. Oh, thanks, Richard. It's been a long time since Budapest. <laughs> it has. And I miss it. It's the craft conference, and they're, they're, by the time this gets published, it will have been a few weeks <laughs> ago. <laughs> But it's it's online this year, and and you know I, I'll miss the train rides. Indeed, yeah, I was planning to go down there last year, and it got cancelled completely. So yep. I guess we'll just have to make do with virtual virtual speaking over the wire from our little black boxes. It'll work fine, and you're literally in it. We're both in black boxes. You just mine just looks like it's not black. So I introduced you as we met on a train. You're a guest lecturer in my course at Harvard. Is there anything else you want to add on to that intro? Well, I mean, I think that covers all the main things. I mean, apart from that, I've, you know, I've been working in the software industry for longer than, uh, longer than maybe I should have done. Uh, I think I wrote my first commercial software in 1980. Um, these days, I uh, mainly work uh, in behavior-driven development. I've been part of the Cucumber team. Um, I've written some, some books about uh, BDD. Uh, with my colleague Gaspar Norge, uh, and I work for SmartBear uh, as a continuous improvement lead. So I'm working with lots of teams mm. at the moment, um, uh, yeah, across the across the world because SmartBear is one of these companies that grows through acquisition. So I have colleagues in India and Russia and France, and uh, of course on the west coast of the United States. Mm-hmm. Even as far away as the exotic West Coast of the United States. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, we one of my colleagues from Cucumber is now, um, well, I was going to say he's on the West Coast of Canada, but uh, he's he's in the Western states of Canada, uh, mm-hmm. but apparently it's still a day's drive from the coast because, wow. yeah, you, you folks do things it's a at big different continent. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, you said you're a continuous improvement coach so well the, i'm called continuous improvement lead lead um what the heck is that uh what the heck is that so because uh smart bear grows through acquisition there are lots of teams that all do things differently and are all different levels of maturity and if i'm going to use the corporate buzzword excellence mm-hmm. um i uh, I was offered a position of being excellence lead, and I just thought that that was just a, just that just sucked as a title. Um, Hello, your excellence. Yeah, exactly, something like that. Uh, where's my ermine cloak today? Uh, so instead, uh, really, what they what they're talking about is just trying to get better at doing things because everyone can get better, um, and we can actually we we tend to get better in discrete jumps, yeah. but but equally that happens continuously. So you continuously practice thing. And then every now and then you look back and go, oh, wow, I, we as a team or I as an individual have moved up another, another level before plateauing again. So yeah, that's what I'm doing with working with teams across, uh, across, across the smart bear uh, portfolio to try and um, ensure that the software that we deliver is of a, the quality that we would like to help our customers develop as well. Mm-hmm. All right, that's so cool. 
So you've got a lot of experience with teams, which is perfect because this is the podcast about teams. Uh, and, and so here we define team as any group of two or more people aligned with a common goal. Sounds good. And we ask everybody, we ask every guest, what's the best one of those you've ever been a member of in your life? The best group of two or more people, the best team. What was the best team of your life? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you gave me some warning about this, Richard, because <laughs> if you hadn't, I would have been struggling to think about which team to go for, but, uh, I'm going to go for a team that actually has nothing to do with software. Okay. Uh, a team that was formed in um, 1998. Uh, I, ha I own a piece of a piece of ground in Scotland that when I acquired it, it had nothing on it apart from some weeds and some trees. Uh, and I built, um, well, I built a straw bale building on it. Okay. So you know those uh, rectangles of straw that you get? Yeah. Uh, well, they, they actually make really good bricks. Uh, if you pile them together like Lego, they turn into really excellent walls. They have wonderful, hey, I'm doing the wrong thing here. This is not about the team. Anyway, if <laughs> anybody that's listening to this is interested, look up straw bale building. In particular, the style that I'm about to talk about, it was Nebraska style. So we imported it from the US back into the UK. Wow. Uh, but uh, we were, I was building, a, I wanted to build a frame and the frame was being built out of Douglas fir. Um, but Douglas fir in chunks that were like uh, a foot by a foot for the main supports. Uh, and we are building it from scratch. We got the sawn timber, but you had to put all the joints into it and notch it and do mortise and tenon joints. Uh, and I know nothing about woodwork. So of course that's a bit of a challenge. And I rang up a lot of my friends and I actually got seven or eight of my friends to come out and join me for a week on this piece of land with this wood and none of them knew anything about uh, woodwork either but we had one awesome amazing person called pete who came up from england who was an expert from from a company called carpenter oak who happens to be uh, the, the husband of a friend of mine and he came up and he mentored us for a week and the team was just the best team that I can ever remember because we worked so well together. Uh, we learned everything we needed to know about woodwork in that week. Pete managed to teach us everything we needed to know, not the theory, just the things we needed to know. And he did it in a way that didn't treat us like dumb people. Mm -hmm. He helped us where we needed help. He let us make mistakes where we needed to make mistakes. Didn't let us cut through a 12, 12 inch piece of timber in the wrong place, right enough. But uh, at the end of the week, we had this incredible structure up and it's still up today. Wow. So I, I, I love a lot of what you said. At first, it just sounds like it was a lot of fun. Oh, this, yeah. this group of friends coming together uh, with, a, with a mentor and not theory that you didn't need to know. It was, it was all practical stuff to get yeah. it done. Uh, and, and the mentor let you make mistakes. You didn't say safe mistakes. I'm going to use that word, safe mistakes. Yes. And you use this counter example. He didn't let you cut through a 12 foot long timber. That would have been a bad mistake. That would have been a bad mistake. And no, and nobody fact, lost any arms no one or lost fingers. Any limbs, no injuries. There was actually, there was one mistake that was actually, uh, one that Pete made right at the beginning. So when he made the cutting list, mm -hmm. he missed out specifying the timber for the queen posts. Uh, which is quite significant. And because it was, those were supposed to be, uh, I think they were eight by eight inch pieces of timber, not oh. easy to get um, from your 
from our local lumber yards. Yeah, chunky, <laughs> chunky things. So what we did was we basically went and got um, two and a half by two and a half pieces of timber, which is fine, and nailed three of them together. Uh-huh. And that, and it's yeah, they're hidden behind, they're hidden behind the walls these days, so you can't <laughs> see them. But uh, but yeah, is this is this the house that you're in? Is this a different building that we're talking about? Uh, this is this is the first house that we lived in here. I'm I'm a serial house builder, so um, uh, I just wander around the place putting in more houses whenever I get bored. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners and viewers, be warned. <laughs> <laughs> They're all on my piece of ground. Okay, I'm not. I don't go and do gorilla houses on other people's pieces of ground. Be careful where you invite Seb. <laughs> So in fact, the, one of the things that came out of that project, so the, the timber structure we put up in, in 98, and then in 99, uh, that, that autumn or that fall, we had this conversation earlier, we took delivery of a whole bundle of straw bales, you know, a lorry load, a truckload of straw bales. And then we built the walls in 99. Um, and then I took that experience and I turned it into a, a four-hour workshop, a, a software conference called Object Technology, Cool. Uh, in 2003 in Oxford, which was quite fun. Um, what, I wasn't able to actually do the workshop with actual straw bales. We had to use plasticine uh, and drawings. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of links between building things and software. And there's a lot of things that seem similar and, diff- and actually very different. Yeah. And there are some things which seem tenuously connected and are, in fact, really similar. So we're here talking about teams. Teams really are similar between a crew that's working together on a building site and a crew, whether localized or distributed, that are working together on a software project. Mm -hmm. Um, The different thing is that software, you build it once and you can crank it out as much as you like. Whereas um, with buildings, you design them once, but you build them over and over again. So there's there's quite a different uh, approach to scaling between physical building and software building right right okay so so this this amazing team it was uh you five friends and the mentor pete right yeah as you take yourself back to that team and you know i see the smile on your face uh viewers can see the smile on your face uh this was obviously a good experience what what did it feel like? What does it feel like as you, as you take yourself back? What what's the sensation that that's arising in your body? And could you put a word on that sensation? Yeah, I guess I'm nostalgic, probably. Okay. Um, so for me, it was it, it was a high point of of my life so far. I mean, I've worked with some great teams since then, but hey, this is a team we actually lived together for a week, right? Yeah. So in a caravan and in tents. We ate together every evening. There were a lot of empty bottles to be got rid of at the end of the week. <laughs> um, and yet we still, every day we got up, uh, not quite when the sun came up, but we got up <laughs> and we worked on this timber and this thing just took shape around us. So we were having fun and yet we were um, amazingly productive in a way that I rarely I rarely get to experience or have rarely experienced in yeah. commercial software organizations. To have an experience like that building software, that would be so cool too. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? So, I mean, people talk about code retreat, uh, you know, as a as an experience that is similar in the sense that you're not, it's not tarnished by the exchange of small green bills. You do it for fun. 
you do it with groups of people. You get a chance to practice safely. Uh, there's somebody there to um, give you hints or offer suggestions as you go. There's a lot of similarities. Um, at the end of a co code retreat, you probably don't take the software with you. It's you, you were working on something that was kata-like, whereas we ended up with um, we ended up with a building that's that people still live in, which is yeah. is really quite a, an excellent side effect of of having a good time. Now imagining the possibility of a code retreat where you build something that's that that lives on, something yeah. that's, that, that's durable. So that has been done, hasn't it? So there have been hackathons themed around various things where yeah. something comes out of them. Yeah. Now this this amazing structure building, house building team. What are, what are some of the subjective ways that you know this was a, a great team? Uh, we're still friends, right? So, yeah. I mean, so that is something that I've seen from other teams that I've worked in, you know, in the software industry. They may not have been quite as much fun. They may not have been 24-7 type uh, situations. But, you know, the good teams I worked on, I can, I still keep in touch with people that are on those teams. You know, uh, we... We, we meet, or, or at least we used to meet regularly. Um, these days we, we communicate uh, by other means. So <laughs> right. subjectively, the fact that we're all still good friends, that's, you know, and the, in fact, one guy who couldn't make it through the week because he had a job at the time and he just came over the weekend, he still remembers the day, one day that he spent with us. And he says, that was the best day he's ever had. Oh, um, nice. So, you know, Subjectively, we have a, we have a, a number of common touch points, and we talk about it on a yeah on a semi regular basis. All right. Now, anything else subjectively or objectively uh, that 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 you that you, you sense within yourself, or that people could observe from the outside? Uh, well, I think everyone who ever looks at this building um, sort of melts a little because it just looks. I mean, it's both structurally sound and yet idiosyncratic to the point of absurdity so <laughs> the thing about straw bales is that they look quite uh flat-sided until you actually smear plaster on them and then you discover quite quickly that they are different widths and they have undulations and things so it looks a bit like a hobbit house it now has um grass and stuff growing out of the roof it's got a little a little chimney that puffs smoke and it's got both of the gables are fully glazed you know so it, it's got a great it's got a great look and feel to it and the people that live in it now have put in flowers all around it so it just looks like a yellow gingerbread building sprouting out of a field of flower heads yeah it's it's quite it's quite an interesting uh, interesting view and subjectively you know you you wander down and they go ah that was really it wasn't just fun doing it it actually is functional and it looks nice as well. That is so cool. That is so cool. So what were what were some of the concrete behaviors that, that you engaged in together as teammates building this house? Uh, so communication, right? We were always talking about who's doing what. We were having to lift large blocks of wood. You don't do that on your own. Some of these were uh, 15 foot long. So you had three or four people on them. Mm -hmm. um, we built our own tools. So for instance, when you're working on um, when you're working on large pieces of wood, you don't want to have to be bent over with them lying on the ground. So the first job that we did was we built the trestles, right? And so Pete came with a blueprint of a trestle, which uh, 
some architect or designer had specified, had designed and said, these can hold a ton, right? Okay. So, so he'd come with a blueprint of a tool. The first job we did was we built the tools and then for the rest of the week, we've been using them. And in fact, I still use those trestles. The trestles mm-hmm. are outside now with lumber on them because wow. they were just such good tools. Um, so we worked together and Pete brought a lot of tools himself, you know, the actual metal tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was this sort of the, the experience of uh, being led through something that would have been quite frightening if you didn't have an expert there. And yet it was really quite simple uh, once you once you have um, been shown how to do it. So, for instance, um, I don't know if anyone listening has ever done any um, significant joinery or uh, house building, but there's a former joint called the mortise and tenon. And this is this is a fancy word for saying it's a socket in a piece of wood and a piece of another timber is cut down to size to fit into that socket. Yeah. Uh, and then you hold it together by knocking a peg through a hole that you've drilled in the side and all of that i'm scared (laughs) it's it's kind of because if you screw it up yeah that's a whole piece of wood wasted yeah but but actually when you've got an expert there goes no you want to do a bit straighter than that no Uh you want to not go around the corners oh yeah and what you do is you push the tenon into the mortise and then you pull it back a quarter of an inch and then you drill the hole and now when you now when you knock the peg in it pulls the uh, pulls the mortise tight against the other piece of wood and clamps it it was it was uh, so what are we trying to talk about i'm trying to say these were the activities of us working together with a mentor who was showing some really quite complex some quite complex uh, construction techniques uh, but doing it in a way that everyone walked away with the knowledge of how to do that um uh, and no there was no wasted material there was no fingers bleeding or broken bones it was it was great that's amazing okay so how about how about listeners and viewers what can they take away for this what advice do you have for them to have the best team of their life on purpose well so the best team i reckon is a bunch is a bunch of people who are working towards a common purpose because they want to right they have to be engaged in the activity uh, and that's that's hard to do in a commercial organization because um, we probably all know the experience. You know, you first and foremost, you need to put food on the table and pay the rent. And so you're often there for a reason that's extraneous to the actual work that you're supposed to focus on. Mm-hmm. Having said that, there are a lot of people in this industry that are, are very bought into what they're trying to do. And they pick companies that have goals and values that are aligned with them. So if you can work with a team of people who have a common goal, a common purpose and aligned values, I think you're already um, on the way to having one of the best experiences of your life. Uh, Additionally, a lot of organizations, especially organizations that look for aligned values, uh, have or used to have annual get togethers, Mm -hmm. uh, off sites where they might do some work-related stuff in uh, at part during part of the offsite, but for other bits, you would do team building and group activities. That's what this was. This was a, essentially a one-week group activity, and then we never, ever worked together again because mm-hmm. we came together for, for a particular purpose. Right. Uh, so if you can get ac- activities where 
um, you can build a team where you can do something fun. You can bring in um, the whole, whole team and possibly their families. You can eat together, drink together, uh, laugh and shout together and still get up and do something productive in the morning. That uh, that builds a team, uh, the feeling of a team like nothing else I've ever experienced. It's beautiful. And I want that. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you added on. Uh, I, I, I like to say a team is a group of two or more people aligned with a common goal. And, and, and you add on because they want to and they have their values aligned. And, yeah. and that, that's just, yeah, that's just perfect. I think that's really quite important. So um, there's an awful lot of, uh, so I've done a lot of coaching and training over the years and I've uh, worked uh, with executives and team managers and CEOs and the like. And there's a lot of talk about team building. Mm -hmm. um, and quite often it's a tick box exercise. You know, let's have an offsite team built done. Mm -hmm. And it's just not right. You know, if you have people that have very different perspectives, very different worldviews, there is going to be friction and it's going to be hard to get them to really collaborate effectively. So, so how about that? Uh, um, being aligned, having having values that are aligned. How how do you discover that, or how do you how do you how do you do that? Well, that's a that's a really difficult question, and not one that I think I have an answer to. <laughs> I mean, I I discovered that uh, when I was building uh, the the timber structure because these were friends that I had acquired over the previous decade, you know, and over a very seminal part of my life from through when I went through university and college and my first job so the there was there was a bond there and um, when it comes to organizations uh, i would say the closest i got to that was when i was uh, when i was part of the founders or um, second round of founders of the cucumber limited organization mm -hmm. so there we were we were all very much um pulling in the same direction we were aligned that you know the challenges of software development were predominantly social uh, and based in communication rather than necessarily technical. It's not that technical challenges don't exist. It's just that they're second order problems. We can generally, unless you're working right on the bleeding edge, mm -hmm. the technical challenges are generally not the things that, uh, that cause software companies to fail. It's not having the vision, not understanding what other people are saying to you in the way that they intended you to understand that. Mm -hmm. And so Cucumber because it's built on behavior-driven development, because it's built to support um, the discovery and formulation collaboration that leads to uh, business-readable specifications, because it's absolutely tied into trying to make sure that everybody has a shared understanding. It, it can, Cucumber was that organization. It was as close to the, the aligned group of energized people with the same values as, as anything I've had in the IT world. Cool, cool. And for people who aren't in IT uh, or don't know, Cucumber is the name of a was the name of a company. Is the name of a company? So Cucumber, uh, Cucumber was initially an open source product that was created by Aslak Helsoy, um, and then to support it, uh, to support development of a commercial product that was going to be called Cucumber Pro, and then was going to be called Cucumber Jam. They founded a company called Cucumber Limited. Um, and there were five founders initially, the three founders initially, and then another two. And then it got bought by SmartBear, which okay. is who we now all work for. SmartBear continued to support the Cucumber open source tool and a 
producing a, um, a commercial product called Cucumber Studio. Got it. Sort of like a Spinal Tap story of how, how, how we got our name and how we got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the, the story, and people regularly ask this, so I might as well just put it out there. <laughs> how come it was ever called Cucumber in the first place? And the story goes that um, Aslak was actually living in Chicago at the time with his wife, Patty, and he was, uh, he, he'd been working for ThoughtWorks and he'd uh, worked with um, Dan, Daniel Terhorst North, who created and invented behavior-driven development. Uh, and so Aslak had created this tool, Cucumber, which was a bit like our spec, but different. And uh, he turned to Patty and said, what shall I call it? And she just said, well, why not call it Cucumber? And Aslak's response was, well, that'll do for now. <laughs> The cucumber method of product naming. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I don't know, are you familiar with um, Arlo Belshi's article on the seven stages of naming? Uh, that's that's who I was summoning right there. Uh, yeah, okay. He taught me the poop method of variable naming. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't really want it to be called poop, but don't stop and think about the correct name right now. You'll notice that word poop in there in your code and you'll fix it for sure. <laughs> So, so that, I mean, I, I, I love that article and I fully buy into Arlo's philosophy there. Mm -hmm. However, um, I once worked for a company called uh, QSS, Quality Systems and Software. Uh, and I did some work there. I ported a C code base to C++. I stayed for a year, a year and a half, and then moved on. A decade later, they'd been acquired by a Swedish company called Telelogic. And I was back working for them and I was working on the same code base. And I discovered a comment <laughs> that I had written in the code base and it said, remove this after the next release. Definitely. A decade later, it was still there. <laughs> Definitely get rid of this line of code. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Delete me. <laughs> All right. What else could what what else what else do you want to add? What else can you tell us about yourself? What else about teams? What else about anything that's happening? Okay, well, I think I've I've talked a lot about not software stuff. Um, after we finish this this podcast, I'm going to be going out into the garden, and I have got brassicas to plant. So that's cabbages. Cabbages. For, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll be planting for, for us vocabulary stunted Americans. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure you call them brassicas in the, in the horticultural industries in, in uh, America as well. Um, well, I, there's a few things that I would like to, um, you know, punt if you like. So the first thing is that, as I mentioned briefly earlier on, Gashman Nodge and myself have written two, the first two books in the BDD book series. Okay. They're called Discovery and Formulation. Mm -hmm. um, Discovery, we released maybe three or four years ago. But formulation we only released um, in 2021, so it's quite fresh off the press. And uh, no, I won't tell you about the special offer because by the time this podcast goes out, the special <laughs> offer will be finished. But anyway, the books are short. Uh, they've got wonderful five-star reviews. And uh, if you're into behavior-driven development, uh, then I think you would you would benefit from them. In and the same very, space, very, very briefly, what is behavior-driven development? Oh, right. Behavior-driven development is an approach to developing, an agile approach to developing software, which is based on collaborative shared understanding. So this Cucumber tool that I was talking about earlier was created to support behavior-driven development. So mm -hmm. in behavior-driven de development, uh, we collaborate. And when I say we, we're talking about developers, testers, and 
business people, product owners and customers collaborate to get to a shared understanding of one story. So in this sort of incremental and iterative way, we don't do the whole product. We just think of the next thing we want to work on. Mm-hmm. Once we've got to that shared understanding, uh, we then formulate the examples that we use to get to that understanding in business language. Mm-hmm. So it becomes documentation. And then finally, we automate that business language documentation using a tool like Cucumber, which means that that documentation will be provably and demonstrably correct for all time or the tests will fail. So it's it's a it's a it's a really wonderful way of both working together and having um the best of machine quality assurance. All right. Thank you. Uh, and if you want to know more about it and you don't want to pay any money on somebody's daft books, um Smartbear have <laughs> uh, released free video classes um at school.cucumber.io um where where you will be able to go through, um, uh, you know, if, depending on how far you want to go, there's there's a course that just does one lesson. And then if you're actually into the programming, there's a course that takes you through 10, 11 lessons of um, developing for different flavors of cucumber. So those are the two things that I wanted to let people know about. Um, the books, the BDD books series available from bddbooks.com and the free videos at school.cucumber.io. Perfect. Thanks for sharing that. And if listeners or viewers want to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Well, um, there are a number of different ways. So I hang out on Twitter and my Twitter handle is Seb Rose. I work for SmartBear. Uh, so my email address is seb.rose at smartbear.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to come and work uh, in the garden or building store bale buildings, you will <laughs> find you'll find that you're able to volunteer at a website called woof.org.uk. That's www.oof.org.uk and I am listed under Acme Organics. That is so cool. My son uh, did some woofing some time back. Excellent. And it was a, an amazing life experience. Yeah. Oh, so definitely. Uh, if you want to go hang out with Seb, woof with him. We use woof as a <laughs> verb. I don't know if you do that. <laughs> I think it is a verb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Seb. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great pleasure. I do. I, ha- I, I sort of have a metric for, for, for how good a conversation was. Uh, I can feel the muscles in my face and in my belly from all the, all the smiling and laughing. Thank you so much for this. Thank you very much for inviting me, Richard. It was fun. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to think or talk about the, that excellent team for quite a few months now. And it was really good. <laughs> Wonderful. And listeners and viewers, remember to support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com.